Well, a group came in one day at this meeting. My brother, who was a brown belt at the time in karate, you know, invited me to this group where I got to hear this man named Robert. That was not his real name, but he brought down a group of people and some children to help us understand that capitalism wasn't the best thing for us, that there was another way and that the United States was not going to teach us, but there was another way and it's called uh, socialism. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, looking forward to spending the next half hour with you and our guest. Michael Cassie Sr. is here in the house. Hello. Hey, Michael, what's going on? Uh, I'm, man? I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, brother from the South Bronx on Bot Radio, that's a, that's a big blessing to me. You know? <laughs> well, it's a blessing for us to get together today. Always pray, God, who do you want to bring on the show? Yes, sir. I was looking through Facebook, and I saw this post warning, if you don't like hearing about Jesus Christ, then you added the wrong friend. Amen. And then the verse, 1 Peter 2, 9, that I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. Amen. And so that's why you're here, Michael. We're going to proclaim the excellencies today of Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We need to do that, right? Yes, definitely. Without question. God has been so good to me. I realize each and every day. You know, it's a, when you open up your eyes and uh, you uh, you realize that God gave us another day and another opportunity. We're put on this earth for a purpose, and he has the master plan. And so God, he gets excited. Waking us up, you know, that we may uh, continue to do what he wants us to do. Let's back up to South Bronx, Nathan's Hot Dogs on the streets. Oh, you know about that. (laughs) Still have uh, the eating contest, you know, every year. Did you ever compete in that? No, I can. uh, uh, I never would make it through that. So growing up in South Bronx, tell me about family life for Uh, Michael Cassidy. Well, I didn't stay in the Bronx too long because I I was young. I was still probably just getting ready to get out of elementary school. When my mother, who has nine children, her brother, my Uncle Leland, who was in the Navy at the time, stationed in San Diego, California, decided to help my mother out and take on one of the children because uh, there was no father in the home. Me and my older sister, Vita, my grandmother took her to Los Angeles, and my uncle took me to San Diego. And he raised me kind of in San Diego. So, so you went East Coast to West Coast? Straight up. <laughs> and so how much time did you spend in San Diego? Well, in California, I spent, you know, some 15 years, mainly in Los Angeles. My mother finally moved to L.A. And even though I was living with my uncle in San Diego, I just had that hunger to be back with my, my brothers and sisters. And so when she moved to L.A., then I asked my uncle, could I go? live back with my my mother. And how old were you at that time? At that time, I was probably maybe about 12 years old, 12 or 13. Okay. So what was most impressionable to you during those years of your life? Well, what got me first when I I had my own room, I was living in, in San Diego. I never had a bed. You know, living in a room with, you know, three other brothers and sharing almost the same bed, you know, it was a blessing to have my own room, you know, sunny California. The weather's a little different in New York. Get a lot of snow, you know, get got a lot of cold. But San Diego was beautiful. So just the fact that I was around a man because I never had that father figure in my life. And just to be with my uncle, he was my uncle, but he was like my dad, too. He was married, and he didn't have any children, so I was kind of like a son to him. So what were some of the values or things you learned from your uncle? 
he taught me how to tell time. You know, you know, I used I didn't know how to tell time. He taught me how to tell time. He put me in, in good schools and he would take me to church. And even though it was at the time my family grew up in Catholicism, he would take me to the Catholic church. He would take me to catechism every Saturday. And what my uncle did, he always asked me questions. What have I learned? Brother Brian, I, I sometimes, I, if I messed up, I used to try to make up stuff <laughs> just so I could please him, you know? Yeah. But he, that's what I learned that he was concerned about what I knew what I was learning, you know, who was teaching me. I learned discipline because it being coming out of the Navy, uh, and he ended up being a lawyer. Okay. You know, and I watched him to go to school to be a lawyer. And I think he failed the bar three times, but he never gave up. Never gave up. He kept on pushing, and he finally passed the bar and became a, a lawyer. I don't know of many lawyers who passed the bar the first time. There are some exceptions, of course, but the ones I've talked to, it takes two, three, or multiple times to that, be able that to That was my Uncle Leland. Hey, but well, he had you know, persistence, right? Yes, he was. So you learned some of that from him. Oh, definitely. Never give up. Yeah. That's my thing. Never give up. So you know? Catholicism was kind of the beginning of your religious journey. Yes. Take us from that point. Well, I went and made my, what would they call your communion, your holy communion. I didn't make my confirmation. And it was so funny that my mother always insisted, even in, in New York, and even when she moved to Los Angeles, that we would go to church every Sunday. Even though she might not go with us, she send us to church. And I experienced a confession, going in a confessional book and telling my sins to a priest, you know, and learn, trying to learn a little bit about. But I really wasn't that interested. And because what happens is when I, when I was going to church, the priest did everything. In the Catholic Church, I was, I'm going to say all Catholic churches like that. But the priest read the gospel, he explained the gospel, and I was just there. I didn't have no interest in really about God. I was maybe scared a little bit of going to hell because hell was brought up. Yeah. You know, I learned to confess my sins to a man in a confessional booth, and uh, that was about it. But I got disillusioned, kind of, even at a young age, even with the Catholic Church. So you graduated— I actually didn't graduate. Didn't graduate. Yeah. I went to the 12th grade. I went to work my last year in high school with the Communist Party of the United States of America in New York City. Oh, wait a minute. You did what? I went to work for the Communist Party of the United States of America, Marxist-Leninist, in New York City, in Harlem. You were getting a paycheck for this. No, I actually volunteered. I, I was with a group called the United Front Against Imperialism when I was in high school that started right after the riots of 1965 in Watts. And so what happened was right after 1965, a group of people came into our city from Berkeley, California. They tried to get all of us off of the streets in 1966 because of the riots of 65 during the summer. So they set up these things, what they call team posts, where we can go on, and play pool, play ping pong, you know, do little things, get off the streets, keep us off the streets for the summer. Well, a group came in one day at this meeting. My brother, who was a brown belt at the time in karate, you know, invited me to this group where I got to hear this man named Robert. That was not his real name, but he brought down a group of people and some children to help us understand that capitalism wasn't the best thing for us, that there was another way and that the United States was not going to teach us 
but there was another way, and it was called uh, socialism. Socialism. That term is being heard a lot today. It's nothing new under the sun. That was late 1960s. Here we are, 2021. And it's coming back around. You know, Satan repeats himself. I learned that. You know, when I got saved in 1984 in Texas, here was a guy I was born on the East Coast, raised on the West Coast. I got saved in the South. So God is good. Okay, yeah. so how involved did you get with the communist socialist movement? I actually joined the Communist Party. I ran a branch in South Central Los Angeles in what we call Watts. So I had my own branch. I was a branch secretary for that area. So you were a lobbying group, or what was your activity? My dad was propaganda and agitation. That's what we did. You know, we can do above-ground work. You could advocate the overthrow of U.S. imperialism. You just couldn't advocate the overthrow of the United States government. You can go to jail for that. Right. So we did what we could do, you know, and get away with it. And so, so what kind of things would you get away with? Get away with, you know, I was studying books on Marxism, Leninism, uh, Mao Zedong. We were sharing. We was having uh, like what we would call a Bible study as a Christian. But we were, uh, we were having services where you would come to a place where it was like a gym. We built a gym. We had weights. You know, I taught karate. So there's a lot of things that we did. And then we had a some studying going on about how to eventually overthrow the government, really. So your interest as a young boy in the Catholic Church at that time was kind of boring to you. You were disinterested. Yes. But you were enticed by these teachings of Marxism and socialism. Yeah. Well, they didn't come right at me with Marxism. You know, you know, you get a little bit in your history of books about communism. And so what they did was kind of like brainwashed at these particular team posts. I remember sitting there with my friends, my homeboys, as we would call them, and we were sitting there. I had been smoking some weed. I was kind of high. And all of a sudden, during the meeting with these young little kids in the meeting, this one kid asked us a question. And the question was, does anybody know what a sentence is? Because they were talking about our education, that our school, the school that I went to, Fremont High School, was not going to educate me. They're going to let me pass. They're going to give me grades. I'm just going to be just as dumb going out as I came in. So he asked the question. And I, you know, I was, and I had a little education because of my uncle in San Diego, right? right? And nobody, uh, Byron, was looked like they wanted to answer the question. You know, I raised my hand. And he looked at me. This boy was like, I think he was like seven years old. And he said, what school do you go to? I said, Fremont High School. He said, what grade are you in? I said, 12. He said, do you know what a sentence is? I said, yeah, I know what it is. And I hate little kids to ask me questions. If I didn't know the answer, I would try to make it up. I remember making up because all the girls would raise their hand in, in school and none of the boys would. And I, I challenged people. I just hope praying to God that the teacher wouldn't call on me. And I remember the teacher called on me one day and I just said, uh, I made something up. And the teacher said, no, Michael, that's not the answer, but that's pretty good what you just said. So here's this kid asking me what a sentence is. So I said, the sentence, a group of words that express a complete thought. He looked at me and he said, well, what is a thought? kind of challenges you. And I got all my homeboys with me, and they, and they used to call me Nomo. Nomo means the word. I had changed my name from Michael Cassidy to Nomo Thabiti. So my name was Nomo. Nomo meant the word. Thabiti meant strong and firm. So I changed my name. My mother didn't like it, but I changed my name. And so that name came from what? Another, another they, faith, another religion, another they, thought? Islam. So now Islam was into the picture. Islam came into the picture right after communism. 
But before that, like I said, that once I realized how I got into communism, I was brainwashed when the kid asked me this question. And he looked at me that day and he said, you know, don't they intend to educate you? He said, you got it half right. He looked at me, said the sentence, a group of words that express a complete meaning makes a sentence. And in order to have a meaning, two elements are necessary, a subject, a person or thing to speak about, and a predicate, something to say about the person or thing. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I gave him a high five, and this is what he said to me, Byron. He looked me dead in the eye. I was in the 12th grade. I was actually failing English. And he looked at me and he said, do you want me to teach you? See, this was before we read books on the Communist Manifesto, Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong. He was asking me about English. And I didn't know it was lead into communism, but they were getting me hooked in like the devil does, yeah. using this little kid. So I said, yeah, I'm, I, I, need, I need to get my diploma. You know, I need to pass English. And he said, uh, I will help you. And everybody was looking at me. I said, okay. So he gave me a book. He gave me a book called English Made Simple by Arthur Walhorn, Dr. Arthur Wall, Dr. Ziegler. Then he opened the book to the first page. He said, when you go home, they met once a week. So yeah, when you yeah. come back to this next meeting, he said, memorize this page right here. He said, but you can't say certain words. You can't say A. You got to say ah. You can't say the. You have to say the. I want you to put marbles in your mouth so you could get good pronunciation and good diction. But I want you to memorize it Jack, exactly. You're going to give me rote memorization, and I'm going to teach you perceptive memorization. This little kid's eight years old. And I said, okay. So I went home. I tried it. It came back, you know, next week. And he said, you ready? And he got in front of me. So I said, yeah, I'm ready. You know, I'm going to beat this little kid. I said the sentence, a group of words. He said, hold it, brother Michael or no more. You made a mistake. It is not a, it is a. Now I got an attitude now because you don't be correcting me. I said, okay. Looked at him. I said, now I'm mad. I said, the sentence, a group of words that expresses. He said, hold it, brother no more. You made a mistake. It is expressed, not expresses. And it hit me. This kid is trying to help. And I was still kind of high. I said, hey, I can't do it. Give me another week. Give me a week and I'll be back. I went home, wasn't going to get high no more. I came back because I said, somebody's trying to help me like my uncle. This little kid's trying to help me. And I came back. The sentence, a group of words that express the meaning makes a sentence. In order to have a meeting, two elements are necessary. A subject, person, thing to speak about, and a predicate. Something to say about the personal thing. Subject and predicate. No sentence can exist without both subject and predicate. Recognize the subject and predicate. In order to decide which word or words make up the subject, simply ask whom or what are we speaking about. In order to decide which words or words make up the predicate, simply ask what is said about the subject. <laughs> Kinds of sentences. Sentences have three purposes. To state, to ask, to command. One sentence that states. A sentence that makes a statement or denies it is called a declarative sentence. Example. The boy stood on the burning deck. Two sentences that asked. A sentence that asked a question is called an interrogative sentence. Example, did the boy stand on the burning deck? Three, sentences that command. A sentence that expresses a command is called an imperative sentence. Boy, stand on the burning deck. And it goes on and just goes on. This kid was teaching me my English, memorizing it, but doing it in rote, but giving me examples of what it meant. I think that's what we should be doing with Scripture. Oh, Michael, wow. This is the process of indoctrination, wooing you into this thought, because they were doing a good deed, teaching you 
the English language, teaching you how to master the English language. Yeah. Then they gave me a book on my on practice, on the relation between knowledge and practice, between knowing and doing. And the same principle I applied to that. Before Marx, materialism examined the problem of knowledge apart from the social nature of man, apart from his historical development, and was therefore incapable of understanding the dependence of knowledge on production and the class struggle. Above all, Marxists regard man's activity and production as the most fundamental practical activity, the determinant of all his other activities. Man's knowledge depends mainly on his activity and material production, through which he gradually comes to understand the phenomenon. You see, it goes yeah, on and yes. on and on. And what's wrong with that thought? Yeah, what's yeah. wrong with that thought? Yeah, it's of the devil. It's not of God. What the devil did and what I learned over the years that I could take certain things from Mao, Marx, Lenin because they stole everything from the Bible and they just took it out of context, used it. And when I started studying the word of God, that powerful word from Hebrews 12, the word of God is powerful, it's sharp, it's piercing, divides the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the discern of your thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Once I got the word, once I got the Holy Spirit, I'm ready. So this course in Islam, how yeah. did that come about? All right. Once I realized that there was a trick that they kind of brainwashed me, I went underground. I went to work for General Motors. That was 1969. That was 1969. And I worked for 37 years for General Moses. And this was a thing. Once I realized that I had been tricked, I went back to the streets. So I went back actually selling drugs. Actually, I really wasn't selling drugs. At first, I worked as a bodyguard for a drug dealer because I knew martial arts a little bit from my brother and from a guy from the Black Panther Party who was my first instructor, Raymond Masai Hewitt, with the Panthers. But before he became a Panther, he was in the Communist Party. He trained us in the Communist Party because they said one day we're going to have to have a revolution, an insurrection, an act of violence by which one class overthrows another class, the working over the bourgeoisie. They brainwashed me. So I start training, started learning how to shoot a gun, started out training my body how to take a life. That's, how, that's what they trained me for. So this is an active terrorist organization within the borders of the United States of America. Yes, sir. How is that possible? How does the FBI, CIA, whoever, how do they let that happen? But they did. And it's just repeating itself. We see it right here in 2020. We see it just repeating. Black Lives Matters. They're talking about Marxism, Leninism. That's old. That's a trick. You know, I'm laughing now as I sit in your office every time I think about in the 60s. I said, Satan's running out of things to do. He's just repeating himself in a different way. You know, the names change. Game's the same. It's sin. Sin lieth at the door. And you can't get away from it. That's why I'm a Jesus fanatic. Because Jesus is my hero. Jesus saved me. And so when I got out, got into the dope game, and then God says, enough is enough. Enough for this kid. I started using the drug. That's what took me down. And my uncle, who was a Muslim, Ahmad Bilal, that's not really his name. His name is Bobby Brown. I hope he gave his life to Christ before he died, because he died saying his morning prayer, his morning Islam prayer, where he found him right there on his rug. And I'm praying to God that maybe God got to him for his final breath. I don't know. He grew up in the Catholic Church, too, so he knew about Jesus. So the whole idea is that how did I get into Islam? My uncle took me to a guy named Farid from Michigan who came to California, used to be Stevie Wonder's bodyguard, and started a karate studio on Crenshaw Boulevard. And my uncle, who wanted to help me get off drugs, he said, he said man, you got a gift. I need you to use your gift. They trained you. The Communist Party trained you. 
I'm going to send you to this guy who's a martial arts instructor, and he could help you out. Even though I had took martial arts from uh, uh, Maasai with the Panthers, it's just to hurt people, not to just to train, to defend myself. Yeah. So as Farid took me in to help teach a karate student, he was a Muslim. He helped me get off drugs. You know, when somebody helps you, you think you owe them something. And one day he invited me to, on Juma prayer with the Muslims, there was two Muslim groups in Los Angeles at the time, Louis Farrakhan and W.D. Wath Muhammad. Louis Farrakhan was the racist type, you know, white man's the devil, blue eyes, blind hair. W.D. Wath Muhammad was Elijah Muhammad's son. He didn't wear the bow ties and the suits and taught it. He wasn't a racist. I never was a racist. I never, you couldn't convince me white people was devil. Most of my friends was white. So that, that was out the door. And so, you know, I grew up around white people, black people. It doesn't, didn't really matter. So, and then, then Malcolm sold it when he went to make his pilgrimage in Mecca. What does he see when he gets to Mecca? Blue eyes, blonde hair, Muslims. Now he can't come back to New York and say white people are devils. So that that went out the door, right? So now I'm studying Islam. I'm learning Arabic. I'm praying five times a day. I'm off of drugs. I'm teaching karate. That was like I was in heaven. And then one day as I was working, General Motors closed down and said, I'm going to send me to Texas. And I'm like, I ain't going to Texas. I heard there ain't nothing but racism isn't in the South. I ain't going to the South. So I, I, I went and prayed. I said, are you really Allah? Are you going to let me leave Los Angeles and go to Texas? I'm trying to study Islam. I only have been nine months in the religion, but I was dedicated. And then I said, well, maybe there's really not a God. Maybe all this stuff is phony. Byron, I said, I ain't going. You know what I did? General Motors sent me $1,000 to get to Texas. I took the money and went and bought some drugs. I said, I know why I got broke. I said, because I, I used the drugs. So I bought some cocaine, got my girlfriend, went to a hotel. That's when crack was out, cooked it up. I said, I ain't going. I'm going to get rich again. And as a result, something got in my ear. Me and my girlfriend, she said, let's test it. And when we tested it, we end up smoking it all. We ought to be out and not even be sitting in front of you. God kept me alive. I'm in Compton, California. And as I come out of Compton, broke, got to rent a car I can't take back. I'm on my way to my mother's house. I'm lost. I'm paranoid. I'm listening to a song. Thank God for Kenny Loggins. Because a song came on my radio with the words, this is it. Make no mistake about it. The waiting is over. Your back's against the wall. Imagine me driving my car, coming through Compton, straight out of Compton. I hear this song. I said, I don't want to hear this song. I push the button. All my stations are set to black stations. I hit the button, and there's Kenny Loggins. I don't even know who Kenny Loggins is. <laughs> I, just, I just know. I looked him up later on. Here's the song again. What's the odds? I hit the next button. Kenny Loggins. I turn the radio. All white stations are to the right in California, right? These are black stations to the left. I turn to the right. Didn't know he was white. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I get out of the car in the middle of Compton Boulevard, and I look up into the sky, and I said, I don't even know if there's a God on this earth. But if there is, I need help. And I bet Jesus said, Father, we broke him. We got him. 
Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on me. What happens? Send me to Texas. Put me on the assembly line. Stick me next to two Christian people. One, an ex-Muslim. One who used to sing with a famous radio group called Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Wrote the song, Wake Up Everybody, that went platinum. Jeremiah Cummins. He's on the assembly line at General Motors. He's a Christian now. And so you got woke. I got woke. Yeah. (laughs) God stuck me in between these two people, and I'm searching. I made a pact with Allah on the airplane. I got the Quran. I said, Allah, I failed you. I went and bought that dope. I'm sorry. Please help me. Whatever you get me off of these drugs, whatever you do, I'll, I'll come back to Islam. And I'll be faithful. So by the time I got to, to General Motors and assembly line, he put me next to an ex-Muslim. I wouldn't even t- I found out he was an ex-Muslim five years. Yeah. I only been there nine months. And, and as a result, I saw this girl reading the Bible. That's why it's good to read your Bible. So I said, she's kind of religious. I'm going to ask her where a masjid is, where I can go to Juma prayer on Fridays. I just got here. I don't know anybody in Texas. I go over to her. I said, man, excuse me. I said, I'm a Muslim. I said, I'm looking for a masjid or a temple to go to Juma prayer on Friday. And she looked at me. She said, well, I don't know where one is, but that guy might know over there, pointing to Jeremiah on the other side of the line. I said, why would he know? He used to be a Muslim. I said, what is he now? She said, a born-again Christian. I said, get out of here. I've only been a Muslim for nine months, five years. He done changed to a Christian. It ain't supposed to work like that. And so as a result, I wouldn't talk to him. But I made up my mind a week later, said, I'm going to leave him back to Islam. So I went over to him a week later. I said, excuse me, as-salamu alaykum. May the peace of God be with you. He looked at me and said, walaikum as-salam. May the peace also be with you. So he calmed me down, giving me the greeting back in Arabic. So I say, hey, man, never ask a Christian a question. <laughs> Telling y'all, y'all in for deep trouble. I said, man, why would you want to be a Christian after being five years with the nation of Islam? And he started to testify how he got saved. In a small town called Telephone, Texas. Telephone, Texas. Telephone, Texas. Michael, we're going to have to stop right here. Can you hang around? Yes. And let's continue the conversation? Yes, sir. If folks want to know more information about the ministry of Michael Cassie Sr., how can they reach you or get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me at Faith Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. Pastor Danny Sinkfield is my pastor. I work in prison ministry. I'm the urban ministry coordinator, and I teach a martial arts class called CARE, K-A-R-E, Karate as a Recreational Enrichment Program. And as a result, you know, it's faith-based because I could tell the kids about Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to stop right now and pick it up next time. Yes, sir. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining the story of Michael Cassie Sr. on Mid-South Viewpoint. I hope you'll join us as we conclude the conversation of the ongoing work and ministry of God in the life of Michael Cassie. Thanks for joining us. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. God bless. God bless.